This is the God and Cancel Culture podcast. We're reading through the book chapter by chapter. Today it's chapter 9, Being the Church in the Face of Cancel Culture. And I'm sharing just part of the chapter, but I tell how we've got to be the church regardless of if it's good, bad, or indifferent. And I focus on how the church is being the church. I think this is an important chapter in the book. I hope you enjoy it as I read it, and I'll have a message at the end. Standing Alone Like Rob McCoy in Thousand Oaks, whom Farrington did not know at the time, Farrington found himself isolated from other pastors because of his decision to defy the governor's stay-at-home orders. In anticipation of opening on May 31st, Farrington made phone calls to many pastors in his area, but not one would reopen with destiny. Other pastors would not take a stand, and the strong people of their churches came to our church, he said. Maybe it was because some of them were a divided house. They either had a board of directors or staff members who were not willing to take the step. Farrington can point to just one other pastor in the Sacramento area, Samuel Rodriguez of New Season Church, who has stood by and continues to stand by him. Farrington said, a whole lot of people thought we were losing our minds. That was one of the challenges. You would think you would be supported from people within the Christian family, people who are believers, or pastors or church leaders that would come alongside. They may not be taking the same steps, but you'd like, hey, I feel support here. But it was a pretty lonely journey. I asked Farrington in a podcast to describe the state of the church in California And his response was that a remnant church is being birthed. They're bold. They're empowered by the Spirit of God. They're willing to say things that are deemed as hate in our culture, willing to take a stand, willing to call sin, sin, deviant lifestyles and all that, he told me. They know that this is the moment, and they're willing to put it all on the line. But it's not even close to being the majority. I would say it's a very small minority. I asked him why more churches didn't stand with him if too many pastors are timid. Timid is a good word, he agreed. Some people would say cowardly, but I've never used that word. People are afraid of misinformation about the virus, afraid of the government and what would happen. I would get phone calls like Nicodemus meeting Jesus where nobody really would want to identify with me. These pastors would call me and say, hey, can we have a private conversation? The first question, 100% of the time, was, can you give me the name of a good lawyer? Which tells me they were afraid that they would lose their church or get sued or whatever. So timid is a kind word. Joel Kilpatrick wrote an internet post early in the pandemic saying that the emerging social pressures would act as a God-given flare to illuminate the battlefield. The Lord, he said, was using COVID-19, racial strife, and the election to reveal people's hearts and minds. Christians were going to be coalescing on one side or the other, Kilpatrick told me. Some would say, let's go along with everything the culture says to do, from COVID mandates to leftist speech codes. Others, the resisting, freedom-supporting churches and people, would begin to coalesce 
and develop a bold, confident voice in the public square. At that point, there was very little evidence of this happening and virtually no connection between pastors in California who wanted to peacefully but vocally defy public health mandates. But pretty rapidly, churches and leaders in the Christian world began to find each other and gain strength and become a voice in the public square for the Church of Jesus Christ, Kilpatrick said. That was happening in California and nationwide, and it's going to continue, Kilpatrick said. Many leaders have shed their old skin of being seeker-friendly or to just be welcoming. There's nothing wrong with being welcoming in theory, but the way they're carrying it out has to do with a lot of compromise, he told me. Some people today wouldn't recognize who they were a year ago because back then they were just meek and accommodating. Now they are warriors for the Lord and for his kingdom and for the rights of not just Christians but all Americans. They stand up freely and say what they want without this fear of being canceled. Farrington is certainly one of those who has undergone a profound transformation. After opening, he boldly confronted state leaders from his pulpit week after week. How did the governor and the other civic leaders respond? With near silence. Farrington said he received just one threat from a government official who is no longer employed by the government. Indeed, Farrington has tried repeatedly to meet with the governor and other leaders, but to no avail. Our governor would not even acknowledge the faith community, he told me. We continue to ask. We would love to meet with you. Nothing. Zero. No response. Not even acknowledgement of our existence. There has been similar distance among numerous pastors in this religion-hostile state. Recently, Farrington invited every pastor in the Sacramento region to join him at the state capitol for a short press conference pertaining to a particularly disastrous bill concerning churches that was before the state legislature. Just five other pastors showed up, and nobody from the area's larger churches, aside from Destiny Church. There's no unity, Farrington told me. I don't know how it is other places, but there's no unity in the state of California with churches because we have people who have bought into the whole woke, critical race theory, Black Lives Matter, and it's not good. There's no unity here. Brothers are against brothers right now. David Lane of the American Renewal Project wrote recently that disengagement from culture by Christians has left a void in America that is now being filled by everything Antichrist and that the gathering storm endangered by baby boomers and passed on to the millennial and Gen Z generations to sort out will come down hard on the weak-kneed and lily-livered. I agree with that. Courageous people seem invigorated by challenges, while avoiders are terrified of them. Quoting Christian minister and cultural theologian P. Andrew Sandlin, Lane dubbed our problem Sunday go to meet in Christianity. That makes no demands on the culture. It is a self-effacing church culture hidden behind the walls of the meeting place and not up to Christianity's required standards, Lane wrote. A different type of church will be needed for America to be born again. Budgets, buildings, and butts and seats won't be the theological focus point if America is to survive. Christians operating in the public square 
will be empowered by wisdom from above. Mario Marolo, who is powerfully used in the Jesus movement of the 1960s and 1970s, and speaks to millions via his blog, in-person revival meetings, and national television programs, says our generation needs patents to arrive. He's referencing General George Patton, an American hero of World War II. Murillo told me, Patton's fundamental approach to war in the natural is the precise tactic for war that we need. For example, he didn't want his men digging foxholes. He was all about advancing, moving forward, taking the attack and the offensive to the enemy. Patton didn't care about public opinion because, as he said, I've got a war to win. Imagine if that spear got on preachers today, Marolo said, if they weren't so concerned about public relations as they are, but about obeying God and, and preaching sermons that please the Holy Spirit, even when those sermons may offend other people. Marolo labels this spirit anointed resistance. He said, Every minister needs to ask themselves, why am I in the ministry today? Am I a freedom fighter? Am I a resistor? Am I going to allow my fear and need for self-preservation to take dominion over my duty as a leader? I have told this to thousands of pastors in California. You are not violating the law by meeting in the church. They are violating the law by closing you down because the Constitution says that no one will make a law in the United States to ban the free exercise of religion. They broke the law. You didn't. It's up to you to stand. He added, Every pastor is a freedom fighter now. It wasn't our choice, but now it's our duty, the veteran minister told me. It wasn't perhaps why we went into the ministry, but now that we're here, it's inescapable. Kingdom Engagement Bethel Church in Redding, California, is known for celebrating a wide variety of political and cultural viewpoints within its community, though not unbiblical ones. Its entrepreneurial culture, saturated with prophetic encouragement, has spawned an extraordinary number of global ministries over the past couple of decades. But when it came to recent legislation involving a basic moral issue in California, the church decided to publicly oppose it. I asked Pastor Bill Johnson about the approach he and the church take regarding influencing government toward right decisions. Johnson told me, We have a responsibility before God. If you love people and they're in the second story of a burning building, you've got to let them know. You can't make up excuses. We need to do it with grace and kindness and love. But loving people means choosing the best. And so it's just a mandate that we have from the Lord to represent him well in what he values. The church at large, he said, is called to give people adequate warnings and instruction on how to do life. And that's what we've embraced as our assignment. Much like my own family, the Johnson clan goes back at least five generations in the Pentecostal movement. Traditionally, Pentecostals have been reluctant to speak up about public issues preferring to stick to those such as getting saved, filled with the Holy Spirit, and ready for the rapture. They prefer prayer meetings to political rallies. The Pentecostal movement, as you've acknowledged, has not been active on this, but has been passive, Johnson said. Part of the reason is we actually have greater faith in the return of Christ than we do in the power of the gospel. 
and it's not either or. We must have our anchor in the power of the gospel. That is to change things now. What does that change look like on the ground? It depends on who's in charge, Johnson told me. Right now, with our present regime, I'm deeply concerned about the goals and ambitions of the far left. I do think they're trying to work their way into the Bible being labeled as hate speech. I have felt that, though, for the last 20 years. There's just been slow progress toward that outcome. So several things, he continued. The church has to get rid of this notion that we're not to be involved in politics. I do agree we're not supposed to be a political party. I get concerned when some of the expressions I see from believers. But to be honest, I'd rather see excess on that level than no involvement at all. We've got to get rid of the notion that we just let things be as they are and the sovereign God will do what he wants to do. That's really a foolish way to approach life, especially in a country where each individual citizen is given responsibility to choose and select. Our silence is a choice. It actually empowers the voice of those who are willing to stand up and to speak lies. Some of the legislation before government leaders right now is, quote, absolute insanity, Johnson said. It would have been considered insanity 10 years ago. Anytime you empower a five-year-old child to decide he's no longer a boy, he's a girl, and start giving him medical treatment, and the parents aren't involved, they have no authority, no power, that is absolutely unheard of, that it would be considered reasonable. And yet we have people in leadership who think that's logical right now. Churches, he said, must make our voices heard, but not through accusation, anger, resentment, or threats. If you're going to drive an evil spirit out of the house, you've got to replace it with something good, he said. Put adoption in place of abortion, for example. Biblical identity in place of confused identity. Solutions instead of problems. The Bible says that Jesus is the desire of the nation, which tells me everybody wants a king like Jesus. They just don't know it, Johnson said. They love it when our family life works. They love it when businesses work. They love the creativity, the level of the outflow. We as the people of God have to present this in a way where people see that we're not just complaining against stuff, but we actually have solutions and answers that we'd like for them to consider. While doing this, he calls on Christians to empower and support those serving in public office. Make room for them to serve, public service, as a spiritual assignment, he said. It's as spiritual as any pastoral calling or calling for an evangelist or missionary. It's not to Christianize the nation. It's to bring the principles of the kingdom into play. A voice from the past. I hope you enjoyed this excerpt from chapter 9, Being the Church in the Face of Cancer Culture. I'm hoping that you've listened to it chapter by chapter, day by day. I'll be interested to look at the download statistics. But you can listen to the whole thing, unedited, unabridged, if you go to Audible and order it, or there's some other platforms as well. I downloaded it and listened to it myself. It was kind of interesting to hear myself read. Or you can go onto my website, stevestrangbooks.com, and order a copy of the book and find out about other specials that we have there. And if you like, uh, leave us a review, either on Audible or on Amazon. Send me an email. Tell me your opinion. 
send it to me, Stephen Strang, and you can address it to info at charismamedia.com. God bless you.